Hi and welcome to The Three Good Podcast, a weekend podcast where I talk about all things to do with positive psychology, well-being, resilience, mental health and emotional intelligence. I'm your host, Sukhpavia. So, happy weekend, folks, and welcome to what I think is now episode 16 of the Free Good Podcast. And in today's episode, uh, I've got another guest on the podcast, which I'm really pleased about. Um, so, first of all, hello, Gary Cookson. Hi, thanks for having me. Absolutely, absolutely. Really pleased to have you on uh, as a guest to the, to the series, and... What I'm really interested in about today's episode is we're going to be talking about quite a range of stuff, actually, to do with men's emotional health. And mm-hmm. it's, it's a topic which I mean, I'm particularly interested in because it doesn't, it doesn't feel like in the, uh, I don't know, in, 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 kind of in most spaces that we allow ourselves to have proper discussions around uh, men's emotional health and men's mental health as well, actually, um, related. And they're, they're related, you know, they're, they're distinct, but they're also related, as I yeah. see. Um, and so we're going to talk about it from different aspects around things such as work-life balance, um, parenting, mm. uh, work, and how all of these things affect us in those, um, uh, uh, with respect to um, our emotional health. Yeah. So... Um, I, I guess that's a broad place to be able to start from. Um, what, why does this area interest you, Gary? For a lot of the same reasons as you, Suk, really. It, it's an underappreciated and underpublicized area. Recently, in, in recent weeks and months, you see more and more about it, and there's lots of threads going around on Twitter and other social media about how important it is to recognize that it's a big issue for men. Yeah, but it's not something that is often openly spoke about. People are encouraged to do it, but it doesn't yeah. always happen. So it's an interest to me, and I've got my own fair share of, of problems and and psychoses and various things like that. And any chance to get to talk about those, it helps me too. <laughs> okay, well, I'm very happy to have you on, and we can have a really good chat about these. All right. So, I guess um, yeah, you know, one of the recent things that has been really, really of interest to me is. Um, I want to start from a completely different perspective, right? Um, and that is, um, during the World Cup, Gareth Southgate has been really held up as showing leadership, not just in the normal terms of being able to lead a team, help them accomplish where they got to, they've done really, performed really well, but he's also been lauded absolutely quite highly for the emotional intelligence that he was able to mm. display. Yeah. The way that he emotionally connected with his team, the fans, the way that he conducted himself. And so I guess I'd like to just start there from that kind of perspective of, um, you know, from your perspective, you, you, I, I know you're a bit more interested in the whole kind of tournament than I was. Um, what did that mean for you, seeing that or experiencing that or hearing that narrative? It was it was really good. I'm sure Southgate is not unique in that, but he's the most recent and visible example that we've got. Yeah, nice. Of a style of management that I think is often underplayed, not just in football, but in all sports and probably in all kinds of business leadership as well. Yeah. It is emotional intelligence. It is being in tune with, with what your staff and followers and 
team need from you mm. to adapt your style what we never saw from from southgate but i'm sure he can do is the the nasty side of leadership and management where he has to be quite stern so tell people look you were at fault for that goal you you shouldn't do have done that and when that happened it all went to to pot and i'm sure he does that mm. but he does that behind closed doors and i think that tells you a lot about the way he wants to be seen as a leader and also the way he is as a leader he's probably very good at things like discipline but he does it at the right time the right place okay. no public outbursts no um criticism of, of individual players unlike say jose Mourinho, who regularly right that and regularly airs grievances with players in the media yeah and and I think what Southgate has found is he's got a group of relatively young, relatively inexperienced players mm. who wouldn't respond to that style of leadership. And what they would respond to is the arm around the shoulder, the understanding of the issues they're dealing with. More so in this World Cup than any World Cup, there's yeah. been an, an increased use of social media by the players, by the representatives, by the families, mm. and even by Southgate. And I think he's encouraged his team to, to embrace that. Mm. Show their human side on social media and on the pitch as well, and he's adopted that same style of leadership and thinks it's worked really well for him. Yeah. So whether it's been something he's he's sat down before and thought, you know, this is how I need to be, mm. or whether it's genuinely a natural style for him, I don't know. But what I can't dispute is it's worked. It's worked really well for him. Yeah. And there were players before the World Cup talking about their own battles with mental health and depression that Kyle Walker was one of them there's a few others right and Southgate had encouraged them to do that and share their own personal stories and that builds the connection with the fans um, and I suppose in business that builds the connection between you and your customers you and your yeah. internal clients as well having that human side showing some emotion is something that I think is really really important for a leader to do yeah and it's really interesting to hear the way you um because it's clearly you've got more insight into um, him as a person than I do because I didn't realise um, that he'd encouraged his players to do that via social media and I didn't realise he, he uses it himself in that kind of way. Mm. Um, so there is certainly something to be said there about how, how open do we think we need to be in that space because I'm sure at some level he would have had his PR people say, Can't, don't do that Gareth, whatever you do, Mm. Yeah, don't, don't open up about your emotions or your feelings or about yeah. how you, you know, what you think about stuff. You know, just toe the party line. Keep things professional. Mm. You know, pe you know your, your fans, they don't want to hear about whether or not you're having a good day, a bad day, or how you're reacting to stuff. Yeah. And um, equally with his players. And yet they've chosen to, gone down, to go down that route. And it does make it does it does create well. I, I guess it just creates a different kind of relationship with with the players in that way. It, it does, but I, I want to pick up on your word use of the word professional there because the way you described it. Yeah, please. Yeah, it's a traditional way of looking at what a professional is. Right. And and in saying it in that way, you you you're almost intimating that if you are a professional, you're somebody who doesn't show emotion. Yeah. That you're somebody who who isn't in touch with their human side, that professional is this cold and clinical, you know, robot yes. almost. Yeah, yeah. And, and whether you intended to use it in that context, I don't know, but that was what was coming across in that use of the word. Yeah. And I don't think that's what a professional is all about. A professional is somebody who is multifaceted, who is able to operate on a range of different levels, and emotion is one of those levels. So I think 
in order to be a professional, mm. you have to have that dimension that Southgate is bringing at the moment. Yeah, you have to be that well-rounded professional, and to ignore that means that you can't be fully professional. However, I do understand what you meant when you said that. Yeah, that it's not often associated with with things like that. Yeah, no, look, and um, so you're you're right to pick me up on it. You absolutely are, um, and the way that I was using it in that in that context there was was more about what the PR person might have been trying to say. Yeah, of course, yeah. And less about my own take on it. My own take on it is I agree with you absolutely. As a modern day leader, as a modern day professional, as a modern day business person, it is, I think, becoming more and more accepted that you bring, if you bring more of yourself to work, if you bring more of yourself to the conversation mm. and you're able to have um, and share those things in a way which is helpful and insightful for others, it creates a whole new level of kind of connection and relationship that we can have with each other. Yeah, it does. And um, and so, no, uh, I'm very pleased that you did pick me up on the, on the use of the language because I, that's another piece of this, though. It's, it's another very easy thing that happens where we, 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 we fall into a pattern of language which, mm. which reinforces certain types of stereotypes, certain types of behavior. And I guess this is a good example of, of where that happens as well. Um, the, the other piece I, I want to come back to is that you mentioned that uh, there are some other, uh, there have been other managers as well who are more known for their outbursts. And, you know, it's, I, I guess there's a question here around, um, yeah, is it about showing yeah, so I don't have a problem with people sh- having an outburst, you know. Mm. I guess it's the kind of outburst they have. Yeah, you know, do, do, does their outburst help us to understand that they've got a position we need to listen to? Or is their outburst just a, a rant, abusive, violent type thing? You know, and I guess, um, and I guess what I'm cautious of here is, you know, if, if someone is being poor in their behavior, then that's the wrong kind of outburst, I guess. Yeah. If they, if they, if the outburst helps us to understand that they are angry about something and they've got a valid point we need to listen to, is how how can we how do we help each other to hear that in a way which is helpful to to us, as opposed to that's just wrong. You're just abusive. You're just you know being really bad with your language or what have you. Yeah, it's, it, and it, a lot depends on the strength of your relationship with the person, whether you're able to cope yeah. with that level of outburst or not, and, and some can. I mentioned before about mm. um, Jose Mourinho. Yeah. And obviously I, I support Man United, yeah. and, and and not many other people do who might listen to your podcast, I don't know. <laughs> but anyway, um, what what you see with Mourinho, and, and I, I'm not wholly convinced by him but he manages publicly right he manages his relationship with his players publicly and you'll see from time to time regular public criticism of his players and i think his intentions are quite positive in bringing that to the to the forefront of their relationship and making it very public he's intending to right. to re-motivate the individual and the most common example is he does it with Luke Shaw all the time but he's also done it from time to time with Anthony Martial he's done it with Marcus Rashford he's done it with um, other people who've since left the club 
and, and he tries his best to uh, criticise sometimes overtly, sometimes covertly, what their motivations might be, and he has a bit of an outburst to them. And yeah. the players never respond publicly to that. They they respond in theory on the pitch. To that. Yes. He clearly feels that with these players, he's got the ability and the relationship to do that, and that, mm. that will make them stronger and their relationship stronger as a result. And often he's lucky in that that's the case, and sometimes he's not, and, and the player retreats into their shell. And I don't think what you see in Mourinho is a full understanding of the individual styles that I think a leader needs to have to, yeah. be able to do that. He has the same approach with everybody and hopes it works, and with some it does, and with some it doesn't contrast that with Southgate you see somebody who does appear to be flexing his leadership style mm-hmm. and doing things more privately with, with individuals and I think that that works so it depends on the strength of the relationship yeah the ability of the leader to flex their styles yes. as to whether you can have that kind of outburst or not yeah and uh, I really appreciate the, the the further insight that you're offering here about you know the players arguably then um, responding by responding on the field mm. you know that's where they show you have i listened to you have i heard what you said publicly in that yeah. way also i'll give you a business example as yeah. well because i i once worked with an exec director who would regularly have very emotional outbursts in yeah. the office and he could be quite nasty at times mm. to, to mm. meet other people he could be really 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 nasty but the thing is, he could forget that. He he would have a stand-up row with you, full-on finger-pointing right. stand-up row about a, you know, something that didn't really matter in the grand scheme of things. But he would go to war over it, and you would have that stand. And he would be really aggressive, mm. and I'm, it's never never pleasant at the time when it's happening for either him or me. But we'd go our separate ways, and then we'd come back together. Sometimes the same day, sometimes mm. the next day. And he'd forgotten it completely. He'd forgotten what we were arguing about, the fact we'd had an argument. He he would not even remember the, the, the stand-up row. It right. had gone completely from his perspective. From my perspective, I held on to that emotion. I mm. held on to that like a grudge type mm. of thing. I couldn't deal with it being gone. I was still wanting to carry on the argument. Yeah. Whereas for him, you know, what's the past is the past. We had an argument. What does it matter? Let's deal with something else now. Whereas to me, it affected our relationship. To him, it was just business. Yeah. And two very different approaches there. Yeah. He, he felt he could get away with it, and he often did. But I held on to the grudges and still do. Mm-hmm. This, this is really fascinating for me. Um, and I've got two questions that come off that. Right. One is, um, uh, one is, what was the impact of that on you? And you say you held on to it. Uh, I, I want to talk about that in a bit more in a moment. Um, I want to. The other thing it raises for me is the examples we, we, we're talking about so far. What that makes me reflect on is um, is that men do get emotional. Yeah. You know, so because the, 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 there's a narrative around mm. emotions and feelings and um, the way that they're expressed that our oh, women are the emotional ones. Yeah, and the narrative is men don't men just don't get emotional the same way that women do, and yeah, I've never really thought that that had much weight because there's plenty of examples where you see that men cry, they laugh, they have fun, 
they get angry, they get frustrated. So yeah, it's not as if men are immune from the impact of emotions on them as people. So the examples that you've provided uh, when we're talking about the football leaders and also this exec director shows us quite, and also in yourself and uh, you know, how, you, how you're reacting as well. Yeah. yeah. Right? They, they, t- they tell us quite clearly that there, is, that there is an impact, that emotions do affect men in a certain way. So, you know, what is it about the, the way that that narrative is run? It, what is it that makes that problematic? So, think, uh, two different things here. I think, for me, it comes from, from deep-seated childhood oh. beliefs. Right. Uh, in my case, certainly. Yeah. And in many cases, it's stereotypes. Uh, boys don't cry type of yeah. thing. And, and I hear myself saying it as a father. <laughs> you know, I do too. I, yeah, I'm sure you do. And and you might not even believe it, but you say it because yeah. you think it's the right thing to say. But I was told that throughout my whole childhood, you know, boys don't cry, men mm. don't cry. You know, mm. Men are supposed to be strong. Mm. Men are supposed to be, you know, not, not just physically strong, but emotionally strong. Yes. That, that you shouldn't have emotions, you shouldn't ever feel like crying, and that as a man, as a leader, as a manager, as a father, you're not supposed to show that level of emotion. Now, the way I've I've kind of dealt with that as I've grown up is that that's not quite true. It's it's yeah. a self-perpetuating myth to some degree, but it's not true. But it's what's expected of you as a, as a modern yeah. as a parent, as a leader. You're not expected to do it. But the way I deal with it, you you not might not be expected to show the emotions, but you you can't divorce yourself from having the emotions. Yes. And it's how you deal with them, how you process them, that becomes the more the important thing. It's not for everybody to mm. have the outburst and to show that emotion. Some people are quite introverted and simply haven't got the, the tools and the skills or the preferences to do that. Yeah. But they still need to process them, otherwise they're going to go crazy. Yeah. They still they have to have some way of, of dealing with the emotions. But for some people it's it's verbal. For other people it's in a very different different way. So I think it comes from childhood beliefs mm. and stereotypes that are pushed in the media or were when I was growing up anyway, and pushed by parents or my parents at least. Yeah. And to a degree, I find myself perpetuating. I I, I agree. You know, there's. I've over the, my boys, my twin boys are now 11, and over the years, what I've really noticed in myself is um, what are those narratives that I either perpetuate or the ones that I challenge myself because I hear myself saying something and going, I don't know if I actually believe that. So I just need to kind of completely backtrack on what I was about to say or have said and go with a completely different approach because I need them to hear a different set of stuff which is also valid yeah i remember um about three years back now when um the disney film the good dinosaur came out yes i don't know if you've seen it it's on the wall of my my uh, <laughs> 10 week old son it's is got it? a mural of the good dinosaur yeah fantastic <laughs> so there's um and during the film when we were watching it um it was quite an it's i think it's quite an emotional film where it really pulls on your heartstrings in, in some quite strong heartstrings in some quite strong ways and after the film um one of the twins 
he just couldn't stop crying because of the way he felt about the film. Yeah. It made it had that kind of an impact. He, you know, for, for a good ten minutes, he just he was. I don't know if inconsolable is the right word, but he just he he really felt that sad about the different things that were happening in the film. Mm. And and I, one of the things that I was really conscious of when that was happening was well, I'm not going to stop you from crying. Mm. That's not what my role is here as a parent. My role isn't to turn around to you and say. Uh, will you just be quiet? What are you doing? It's just yeah. a film. How? Why are you crying over a film? That's just a ridiculous thing to cry about. Mm. And and I knew that that's a, that is a narrative that I could have gone down. But if I did that, it sends such a bad set of messages. Yeah, might never do that again. Exactly. Yeah. And it may have an impact that I can't foresee mm. about how he deals with his sad feelings and emotions in the future. Correct. And so the conversation I ended up having with him instead was, um, I understand that, and I didn't use these words, right? Um, but yes, um, I understand that you're sad because of the film. It is okay for you to cry. Yeah. You know, when, um, it, when, if you want to talk about it, we can talk about it. And, you know, tell me what it was that upset you. Tell me what it was that, you know, mm. that makes you feel that you want to cry. And he couldn't respond to all of that. He did respond to some of it. And I think we had a good conversation about it, but it's one of those where it it can be, yeah. As uh, as a young boy, I don't want to see him grow up not having the emotional. Oh, I don't know what the right word is. Literacy, the emotional range. Range, yes, yeah. yeah to to be able to feel comfortable that if that's what I feel and I need to express it in a certain way, there's a, it is healthy for me to do that. It yeah. is not, un, it is not, uh, you know, I'm not going to be socially derided because of the way I've just displayed that emotion. Yeah, no, I understand what you mean. And I, I've got a 16 year old son as well. And, and right. he very much, very much like me in his, in his mental makeup and, and so on. And I, I see myself, in situations that I found myself in with my own father, and I try very much to learn from the lessons of the past. I don't always do it, but I try. Yeah. And I had a similar experience to you, not with The Good Dinosaur, but about, um, about 10 years ago when, when David Tennant died or regenerated in Doctor Who. Oh, yeah. Uh, and, and my son would have been about six or seven at the time. Yeah. And he... he he regenerated, he died, and it was a known event. You knew it was coming. Yeah. At the end of it, he was in floods of tears, absolute floods of tears, and all he wanted was a cuddle at that point. He didn't want to, to discuss it. He didn't want to be told that you shouldn't cry because it's just a silly TV program. Yeah. That was his hero, and his hero just died on the telly. Yeah. We had to do and we just... He, he couldn't go to bed because of that. He had to sit and, mm. and be held, you know, type of thing. Mm. And then even just last week and I blogged about this last week he, he plays a particular sport and he had a, a great achievement in this particular sport mm -hmm. and afterwards even though I'd been there and watched him do it he wanted to tell me about the game right. blow by blow he wanted to and I said he and he was, wasn't dealing with he wasn't finding the words to do this he couldn't he couldn't verbalize it because there was right. so much physical activity in the sport. He couldn't really explain what was happening. Yeah. Even though he knew I was right there and had seen everything, he still needed to do it. And I recognized what he was trying to do was show emotion about it, but he was trying to yeah. describe it, describe, you know, 
then this happened, then that happened, then that happened. And I said, stop, you're not going to be able to do this with words. Tell me how it made you feel. Right. Tell me what emotions you're feeling during this. And all of a sudden, whoosh, the words came out of him at that point. Yeah. And and he he just told me how it made him feel. He told me about the emotions. Nice. And it, he went on for 15 minutes, just uninterrupted, just telling me about the emotions. And I just sat there and, and listened to him because we were on the motorway at the time. I was driving. Right. Okay. So what I learned from that is that sometimes the, the best intervention you can have as both a parent and as a leader mm-hmm. to encourage people to tell you about the emotions that are experiencing and things have gone through, yeah. not tell you about, well, what happened there? What did, what, what were the steps in that process? What, yes. you know, yeah, what, yeah. Yeah. You know what, what did you do that made that happen? Sometimes that's not important. Just tell me how you felt when that was going on. Mm-hmm. And, mm-hmm. and that was a big lesson for me just last week. Yeah, and that's uh, it's, it's, it's a great, it's, it's a great story. Um, I, I need to go back and read what the um, game was. Well done to your son for that that level of achievement as well, right? That's fantastic. Um, but it also, um, I also there was a recent example where it, this was also highlighted to me as well. Um, on tennis, I was watching the Wimbledon, mm. and um, two players were in a semi-final match: Kevin Anderson, John Eisner. And they went into some epic fifth set yes. match. And at the end of it, when, when, the, when the match had finished and Kevin Anderson won, and he was being interviewed by Sue Barker, and I think it was Sue Barker, or it might have been the, uh, the off-court um, interviewer, I don't remember now. No, it wasn't Sue Barker, it was the off-court commentator. And she asked him, kind of, what was your experience? How do you feel? And he, he absolutely struggled to find his words. Yeah, he was so overwhelmed by what had just happened in terms of not just the physicality of the match, but the emotional drain that it takes on you. Yeah, that he he, he uh, were the questioning just slightly different. He could have quite openly cried. Yeah, because of you, but you could see that in his face, in his body, in his everything about him that. He, he, he was struggling at that moment to truly um, understand how he was meant to be in that moment. Mm. And he wasn't, yeah. allowed, he wasn't allowed the space to even... No, because he's live on TV. To, exactly. Yeah. yeah. And so that puts you in a particular type of um, position, which you, know, you, you can't really get training for something like that, or you can't yeah. really get coaching for something like that until you're there in the moment. Um, or can you? Oh, interesting. Yeah. And that, that's what I'm trying to do with, with my children. Yeah, right. Is, is train them for, not for being live on telly and being asked how you feel, but yeah. train them to be able to deal with things like that in the moment. Yeah. And, and there's no model or theory that I'm, I'm trying to use here. It's just mm-hmm. it's by making it normal. Yeah. Because it wasn't for me as a child. It wasn't normal to be able to express emotions like that. Yeah, but I'm trying to make it normal for mine. Yeah. So what, this is fascinating stuff. I want to come back to the question I asked earlier, which is God, sorry, um, we so, no, 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 no. This is well, it, it's, there's there's a digression, and at the same time, it, there's there's a good range of stuff to talk about here. Yeah. You spoke about the exec director and the way that he would have these outbursts and mm. the way that it would make you feel. So, what? So. The, 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 in that instance, there's a complete disparity of 
the impact he thinks he's had against the impact he's actually had. Mm. And so just talk to me a bit more about that, because... Yeah, he's, he's, he's since become a very good friend, funnily enough, right. only because we no longer work together. <laughs> okay, yeah. And, and I've, I've seen that happen a few times, funnily enough. Right. Uh, in that it was, it was impossible to work with, but, but I recognised that he had some really good qualities. And, and because he was able to let go of things like that and, and not remember the, the fury that we both had at the, in the moment, it meant that your relationship wasn't lost. Mm. If if I'd have been dealing with somebody like me who holds on to grudges, our relationship would never have recovered from that right. point. Even if we perhaps wanted to, it would never have got to that stage. I I felt absolute fury and rage with him. Right. And even when, as I'm thinking about it now, I can recall some of the stand-up rows we had. Mm. And it's still making me think, oh, you know, I can remember how I felt. Yeah. If you were to ask him, he wouldn't even remember it. Right, uh, because it, it's such an insignificant part of who he is. That he, what he was doing, it, he needed people's reactions to develop his own thinking. Right, and what he would do, sometimes consciously, sometimes not, was provoke people deliberately mm. by taking an extreme view, mm. so that he would force people into an opposing extreme view. And somehow that would develop his arguments and his thinking and his logic. And he would arrive at a more rounded viewpoint because of that argument process. He enjoyed the debate, the cut and thrust, the heated emotion. And that would, that would solidify his thinking. Okay. Whereas for me, I would run away from something like that. I can't deal with anything like that. I yeah. do my best thinking all on my own. Right, right, right. But he needed people's strong emotional reaction to develop his own thinking. Mm. See, that's fascinating because there's... I, mm. And when you realise that, yeah, well, yeah. because you did after a while realise that that's what you needed, you let him do it. Right. Because you knew it was helping him to deal with what's going on in his head. Even though you know that it might be provoking strong emotions in you, you knew it was for a positive reason that he was doing it. It was for some business benefit to do it. And you had to just go with it for a while. But does that make it acceptable? Hmm. Good question. Uh, I don't know the answer to that one. Yeah. 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 I don't know. But I think the fact that we're good friends now tells you a lot. Yes. Yeah. 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 Sure. And um, but were you to go back into some kind of working relationship, you wouldn't be able to work with him, though. No, I don't think I could. I don't think I could. He yeah. had many, many positive qualities, but he knew the right buttons to press with me. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, and yeah. Okay. So let, let, let's let's start to tunnel down a bit more into some other pieces um, around this as well. You know, so the thing that is intriguing to me as we're starting to talk about this is is that emotional range, right? So yeah, earlier on I was saying that you know, clearly men are emotional beings because we there are many instances where we do this. We express emotions in lots of ways. Hmm. So what is it? That we're, what is it that we're, we're, we're articulating here? What is it we're saying is the problem with, with emotional health in men? Yeah. Uh, could, we could start with my parents there, perhaps. <laughs> right, okay. <laughs> and, uh, but I think, I'm joking, but the, I think partly I'm serious, is this comes from your parents. This comes from yeah. society's expectations sometimes. Yeah. And, and your parents' delivery of society's expectations. Yes. And so part of the problems that, I have stemmed from how I was treated 
as a child and I wasn't mistreated in the slightest I had a very happy childhood but looking yeah. back I can see exactly the points that led to me being how I am and who I am yeah. and, and I think the nature versus nurture argument comes to the fore there mm. I think the nurture plays a huge role in how yeah. men in business are expected to do, to be and how they're expected to lead and to a degree how women are too but i think men are fighting an uphill battle in being able to openly express emotions in that way yeah but when you say they're fighting an uphill battle what do you mean by that they're fighting society's expectations yeah historical views of what men are supposed to be mm. and the strength that men are supposed to display and I'm, you know, I'm sure there have been people in history who've had similar problems, mm. but it's never been as visible an issue as it is nowadays about mm. mental health and, and depression in the workplace. Yeah. And, it's, and I think the the forcing of the male stereotype and expectation is creating more mental health problems in men yeah. and has in the past, but they're only just being talked about now. Yeah. Yeah. And that's, it is a concern that, you know, for me, one of the concerns is that in the, in the workplace, we don't allow all men to express themselves in a way which is emotionally healthy. Yeah. Not really. I mean, I say that, and I'm not even sure we allow women to do that, actually. So I, I don't know if actually most organizations are attuned to this in this way. You know, do, when you go into work, you're not normally expected to emotionally express yourself. No, not formally. Being a man or a woman, right? Not, I, I not formally, no. no. But I think what you find is women, and I'm generalizing, but women will often find ways to do it informally through their friendships. Right. In, in the workplace and outside the workplace to have, yeah. they have an outlet, they have a process where they can go and talk to people much more readily than men can. Do you reckon? Yeah, I, mean, I, I can think of my, my wife as an example. And yeah, exactly. Uh, you know, she, she's a, a very openly emotional person. Yeah. She's the exact opposite of me, and that's why we work very well. But in the workplace, there's, there's no... She works for an accountancy firm, and it's very straight-laced, right. very process-driven. Mm. You know, there, there isn't any formal process for her to express emotion, and it would be frowned upon if she did. Right. And yet... You know, she shows me the messages between her and her work colleagues, and she shows me the Snapchats that they send each other. <laughs> right, okay. She show she tells me about the the conversations they have when the manager's not there. Yeah. And she, you know, she, so she she is able to do all these things in the workplace. It's just that it's hidden. But I can't ever imagine having them same type of things with a male colleague. She finds them with female colleagues. See, I find that really interesting because I'm thinking, I'm, I'm trying to think. Do I do 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 I have that level of conversation? I don't know if I do. I don't know if I have those kind of not intimate necessarily, but just um, more open conversations. So I have kind of you know I've been the normal small chat that everybody does in the organ in the office. Yeah. Yeah. How's your day? What did you do? What did you do? all that kind of all, that, all kind of normal stuff that we do because that's kind of you know that's the that's not that's just what the, you do. Yeah. That's what you do, right? Yeah. Exactly. But do I, do, do I seek to have further kind of spaces where I can have safe conversations about stuff? 
about my emotional um, um, health, my mental health. I'm not. I, so I don't. That's think, the point of making. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So I don't think it's frowned upon if I were to, but I don't see that it necessarily happens. Yeah, this is this is a really interesting one to explore. I'll give you an example of how it worked for me. I yeah. I worked for one organisation for for twelve years, and for ten of those years, I car shared with another senior manager. Right lived about a mile away from me and it made a lot of sense and at the start of that 10-year car share journey mm. it was quite a formal um, relationship that we we had and we had to spend an hour and a half a day in, in each other's company 45 minutes there 45 minutes back but over time that that develops into friendship and it develops into yes. a yes yeah. a very, very emotional relationship that that we had and both of us were able to use each other as a sounding board for our mm. emotions and mm. you know we'd get in the car on the way home from work and we'd say do you remember that senior management team meeting we were in what the hell were they thinking when that did you see her face over there did you did you see his body language right what do you think and we would regularly slate all the managers in the organization we'd slate the whole organization we right. swear swear to each other okay. we would have rows with each other in the car if, if we were on opposing yeah okay yeah, yeah and then we'd we'd talk about what was happening for each other at home as well yeah. and we both experienced marital breakups during this time and, and right. got together with somebody new and had more children so we went through the whole range of emotions mm. and when that when that car share arrangement stopped because mm. i left the organization mm. i was lost right I was lost and I went into a different organization yeah. and I didn't have James there sat next to me to for me to say this is what's happened to me today you'll never believe what's gone on for me yeah yeah, yeah. never believe what that what that person said and how I dealt with it yeah and I didn't have that anymore and I felt lost and I struggled in that organization because I didn't have the outlet mm. and funnily enough so did he right because I left and he carried on in that same organization, but he, he followed me out the door nine months later. And right. He cited my going as one of the main reasons for him going too. All oh, right. Okay. Yeah. Okay. And that's, thank you very much for sharing that, that story about how that developed for you as well, because what that really, really highlights is the importance of having that kind of safe space to be yeah. able to talk to somebody in a safe way about your emotions mm. where you're not necessarily judged about that you're expressing yourself in a certain way or that you're feeling certain things yeah. or that your emotions are getting the better of you in a certain circumstance. It's somewhere where you can have those conversations and that's quite that's quite powerful and and it was the the very epitome of safe space because we were in private in a car yes you know, on a journey that we both knew would last 45 minutes and <laughs> right. we knew yeah. the conversation had to end in 45 minutes yeah yeah, yeah. So it's like a, a counseling session for both of us yeah in that, that we were on the clock type of thing yeah and you knew there was no one going to be listening or overhearing you could do whatever you wanted in that conversation yeah it was really really useful that is fascinating and it's really and then your further piece to that that not having that um you, you your words were you struggled i did i did yeah. struggle because the same types of things would happen in my new organization but i had nobody to tell about it yeah oh, or I, I had people to tell because 
you know, my wife, you know, we can talk yeah. like that to my wife and, right. and other friends, but I had nobody who had experienced the same thing who yeah. I could tell about it. Mm. I could only give my perspective. Whereas when I was car sharing with James, he'd been in the same meetings as me. He was at yeah. the same level in the organization as me. He'd been there and seen things the same as I had. And therefore we could connect about those things in a way that I, I couldn't do with my wife because she'd not been there. Yes. Yeah. 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 No, absolutely. Definitely understand that. And is there is there a responsibility on an organisation to uh, to to allow for that? You know, for for not just for men, but for emotional expression to happen. I mean, obviously we're focused on the on the male side of stuff here, but is is there an is that the organisation's responsibility, or is that is that is, again are we talking about more of a societal acceptance that if this happens, it shouldn't be judged. It shouldn't be frowned upon. This is just a normal part of human being. Mm, I, 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 don't, I don't know whether it's an organizational responsibility or not, but I know that when organizations do do that, they benefit from it. Right. So whether it's, could you say it's part of their duty of care? Maybe at a stretch you could. Yeah. Um, it's very underappreciated one if it is. Mm. Uh, I went through a, a merger situation in, in an organization and mergers provoke a lot of emotion or reaction in, yeah. in all levels of staff and one organization was culturally taken over by the other right. and in the organization that was culturally taken over there was a large group of disaffected staff who were quite frankly pissed off with the okay. whole budget and and had lost status and position and, and lots of different things and they were they were dealing with and they're predominantly men i should say and they were dealing with a lot of emotion on a professional level and they didn't have an outlet to, to do it. What right. that organization put in place for them was one-on-one -on -one counseling sessions with mm. an external counselor. Right. And nobody took them up. Nobody took up that offer of the counseling. Okay. But what they should have done as an organization was allow that group of disaffected staff yeah. to come together as a group yes and talk about things as a group because they yeah. were all experiencing the same thing what they were given was a private room with a counselor to go and talk about your feelings and mm -hmm. that didn't work for people they wanted to talk to somebody who was going through the same thing as them mm -hmm. yeah, and, yeah, yeah. Yeah. and almost all of that group of disaffected staff left the right. organization and would cite that as the main reason why right they right. weren't given the chance to to deal with the issues that were having an impact on them yeah and that's you know there, there and for me there's a truth there that men are not immune to needing to discuss their emotions mm. you know it's it's um if anything it's more about understanding the context in which those emotions need to be discussed yeah you know so to your point uh, to your example of you car shared with a friend that was a context within which you could do that. You personally recognized that that was something that could happen. Yeah. And so you did and you allowed yeah. that to happen. Whereas for this group of disaffected people who were going to be made redundant effectively, yeah. they, they did not, they were not allowed to have a safe space to correct emotionally express what they needed to. Yeah. And that's a big failing. You know, all we're doing there is reinforcing that, um, you know, very um, uh, kind of, I suppose, legacy views of, well, this is 
this is what we do as an organization. We don't care about your emotions. We don't care about whether or not you feel disaffected. Mm. This is a business decision with, with you know, whether or not you're happy with it or whether or not you're frustrated, annoyed or angry about it. We don't yeah. really care. And that's, that's, that completely then negates and dismisses any, any impact it has on the individual. Mm. Yeah, it does. And it does, it comes right down to an individual level as well. It's not just the organization that can, can impose that view. Yes. Individual line managers can impose that as well. Yeah. I, I had an, my, my last job last year that, that tipped me over the edge in terms of I'm never going to be employed again. Right. A, a number of things happened there and some of them were to do with the, the impact it was having on my mental health. Right. I had a lot to deal with around about late summer last year on a personal level. Okay. My wife had just found out she was pregnant again with, with what is now our 10 week old child. Mm. And she was quite unwell in the mm. early stages of pregnancy. And you know that will will pass, but it, it was hard to deal with. Mm. At the same time, my mum was undergoing treatment for cancer. Okay. So I had these, these two things going on for me that were quite big, and I was moving jobs at the same time. And I, I tried to share some of the, the, the impact it was having with my, with my line manager, who was female. Right. And was, was basically told, you know, just grow a pair. Oh, right. Deal with it, you know. Right. Don't burden me with your problems type of thing. Right. I've got my own set of problems to deal with. And in fact, one of, one of her problems was that her mother was also undergoing treatment. For cancer. Okay. And she said, well, I can deal with it. But you should do yeah, basically, basically the implication was that, that I should be able to do it as well and that, yeah, yeah. that I shouldn't be as a very senior leader in that organization and as a man on top of that, mm. I shouldn't be having problems. Mm. Or if, if, if I'm having problems, I shouldn't be telling people about them. Wow. Wow. <laughs> Pause for thought. Oh, absolutely. Look, I hear about things like that and it just... It shocks me because that is just I. I the you know one of the things I've realised in recent times. Uh, before I mention that, thank you for sharing that. Okay. It's it's not easy to necessarily talk about those things in an open forum like we're discussing here. So I absolutely appreciate you um, being open about the impact that that had on you um, and what you were experiencing at that time. Um, Oh, it just shocks me. <laughs> yeah, that, that, that's all I'm left with. Yeah, well, I'll give you a more positive example, actually, of the opposite happening to me. Okay. In the organization that I said I worked for for 12 years, yeah. during that time, my first marriage broke down in quite horrible public circumstances. Right. And you can imagine the impact on me emotionally. Uh, and I went into work and decided to tell the chief exec what was going on because I felt okay. like I had a duty to tell him. And he was really understanding about it. And he said, okay, he said, uh, what, what are you going to do? Are you going to go off sick with stress? And I said, no, not, not really, no, because that would take me home, and home is the last place I want to be. Right. I, I want to be in work, but I want you to know that I'm not going to be able to focus on work as, as yes. much as I would like, right. and that my performance is going to suffer, and I wanted you to know up front that that's the case. He said, well, all right, fine. He said, thanks for telling me. He said, you're not going to give 100%, but you're going to give more than zero, so that's okay for me. <laughs> okay. You're still going to be here. Yeah. You're still going to do the basics, and 
you've given so much to this organization over the past few years that you're in credit with this organization and with me. He said, if you need to draw on this credit, fine. If you need to be here and just sit blankly into space during meetings, do it for a while. We all understand what you're going through okay. and we'll, we'll support you through this. Just know that you can come and talk to me whenever you want. And, you know, I understand. And, and I understand if you don't want to talk to me as well. I understand mm-hmm. if you're just going to be quiet for a while in the organization, that's perfectly okay. Do whatever you need to do. And, and we're here for you. And, and that was fantastic experience as an employee um, to have that. And so I, valuable. I, I would have run through brick walls for that chief exec. Yeah, well, I still would. I can very much understand why. Right? That's, yeah. that's a powerful response, and it is very validating for what you're experiencing, and also not demeaning your experience to whether or not you're a man and what the expectations of it means to be a man in the organisation and what your yeah how you might be seen to others. Yeah. And that's quite a powerful response. Yeah, and, and wouldn't it be great if I were able to finish that story by saying that and the name of that man was Gareth Southgate. <laughs> <laughs> but because that takes us right back to where we started. But okay. sadly it wasn't Gareth Southgate. Love that. Showing the same leadership qualities as sure. Gareth Southgate. Just yeah, 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 yeah. No, I totally take that. Yeah. And it makes me think actually, um so in, in my previous organization that I was in, I had a very a very supportive HRD and um, in, in a similar way, uh, I was able to talk to her openly about personal problems that I was facing. Mm. And during one particular period, I, I decided that I needed to go through some um, cognitive behavioral therapy. And the sessions were quite set in how they were going to ask me to commit to that, where I had to go through, I think it was 12 weeks of uh, weekly sessions. And they could only happen at a certain time, and it was only in a certain clinic where I could go to. Yeah. And so I spoke to my HRD and said, look, I'm experiencing some stuff. I've, uh, I think this is a route through which I will be able to receive help in, um, in what I need. And the commitment is that I'm going to be attending uh, weekly sessions is, and is in this location. It means I'm not going to get in, I think it was every Tuesday, yeah. until 1130 and she said, yeah, fine. Yeah, yeah. Just, it, that's what you need. You know, I, I want you to be well. I want you to be yeah. um, okay when you come to work. I don't want you to be burdened with other stuff. And if, if that's going to help you to do it, and you need time to be able to flex around that, mm. you've, got, you've got my support that that's okay. Yeah, nothing's going to be said about that. Yeah. And that was very supportive to me. That was very helpful. Um, and it allowed me to go through that therapy and complete it in a way um, and I learned a lot from doing that as well and mm. um, it's, it's, it's good to know that there are people out there who are supportive in these ways yeah and w- can I can I take a guess was that the housing organization that you worked for it was yeah, it was, yeah. well so was my positive example with the, the chief executive right. that was a social housing yeah. organization too and I, I just wonder whether there's something about the culture of mm. social housing that might make it more likely that you get the support that you need yeah, it could be yeah i mean yeah it, it could be i mean at the, at the same at the same time we had a um exec director there whom i could imagine that were i in his team and i were to, to try and off, ask the same 
it would have been a similar response to what your exec director yeah maybe would have like it would be because he was a an, he was an alpha male type who who was very very clear on what he thought and was was very rarely um so he was often emotionally expressive, but it was yeah. often in a demeaning and patronizing and antagonizing way. Yeah. And not for the benefit of himself, not for the benefit of anyone else, but just to vent out his stuff because mm. that's, that was his thing. Um, so, so yeah, I'm not sure. It's, it's an interesting one. It's an interesting one. Okay. The other piece I want to, I want to come to is, um, uh, I think at the outset of this, I was, I was saying that one of the things that I'm interested in as well is, so you, earlier, uh, or rather, as we've been talking, you've shared that you've now gone um, independent. You work for yourself. So, what's been the impact of that for your emotional health and the range and the the way that you your demands are now pulled in different ways? Mm. So, how are you how are you maintaining that emotional health in this space now? What are you what, what does that mean for you? Well, I went self-employed and set up my own business to give me myself more control over where and when I work, who I right. work with and the type of work I do. And, and mostly for work-life balance reasons too. Yeah. Uh, my, my wife was, was pregnant at the time and I wanted to be around more. Mm -hmm. And, and that's been the case. Um, it's not been hundred percent successful. I mean, the business is, is wildly successful, but in terms of the impact it's having on my, my mental health and, and the family's mental health, more positives than negatives but i wouldn't say life's a big song and dance routine yeah okay there, there are a lot of challenges that come with trying to run a business from home yeah. and having four children at home yeah as well which we don't need to go into what those challenges are i think we can leave that unsaid but you can okay. imagine yeah um, in terms of my own mental health there are days when i feel on top of the world mm. because everything just seems aligned in terms of business home children marriage everything. okay there are days when i struggle desperately mm. and you know there, there are numerous reasons sure. for that sure. some are to do with the demands that children might have some are to do with you know how my wife might be feeling versus yeah. how i'm feeling sometimes it's about the competing demands of, of work and needing to get things done versus having to change nappies <laughs> yeah and things like that and and it can be damned difficult so at times to mm. do that. and i think my only way of coping is to live day by day mm. at mm. the moment and think what do i need to get out of this particular day what are the things that i need to go to bed having achieved right and and therefore how will that how do i need to structure my day to achieve that and what i have got now is control yeah okay is, i can set my own diary yeah I can turn work down. I can say that I'm going to work in the evening when everybody's in bed yeah. or get up early so that I can manage all the multiple stakeholders in, in my life now. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. If I were faced with a, a 90 minute commute, which is what I had, mm. I, and then a, a desk bound nine to five job, mm. I couldn't have done what I'm now doing. So I know very much that even though I'm struggling with things sometimes now, Mm -hmm. I'm in a hell of a lot of better place than I would have been if yeah. I'd not done this. I would not have been able to cope remaining in, in employment with everything that's going on for me. Sure. I can cope just about now. Okay. Yeah. 
And that's, uh, again, appreciate your honesty there in the way that you're having to balance those different aspects of home life, family, mm. the way that work can sometimes get in the way or even the other way that sometimes home and family can get in the way of work and mm. all of those things, right? Yeah. So, so around this thing, um, do you have regular... Um, uh, do you have regular kind of activities or do you have regular spaces where you you can regulate your emotional health? And I yeah, that question I yeah, I do. And there's a number of them. Yeah. Um, you know, I'm, I'm a triathlete. So yes. I do a lot of different sports. So my training for that is quite multifaceted. Yeah. And, and I use my training and physical activity as an emotional release. Nice. And a okay. release of adrenaline in a way. And also a time to, to think. Mm-hmm. I do a lot of my best thinking when I'm out for a long run or out on the bike or even in the pool swimming. Yeah. And, and it's a great time and space for me to, to reflect and, and deal with things. Mm. Um, and I, I always feel better after I've done those things than before I started. Yeah. Physically and mentally. So that's one. Yeah. So, social media is a good, good outlet for me. Yeah, nice. I'm not one for doing attention seeking statuses and, and so on. And I don't get people commenting, are you okay, Horn, on my, <laughs> on my statuses. But I, I use social media to express myself. And you'll see in, in many of my posts, I'll often pose dilemmas that I'm faced with. Yeah. And there was a good one yesterday about somebody who, who'd upset me quite badly. Mm-hmm. And I didn't know whether to confront them about it or let it go mm-hmm. uh, because the person had not done it intentionally. And to confront them about it would have led to more upset. So I was a bit conflicted. And I posted that as a dilemma on social media. And I got 50% of people saying confront them and 50% of people saying let it go. Right. It showed me that I wasn't alone in, in not knowing how to deal with those dilemmas. Yeah. And that gave me some heart and some confidence to be able to find the, what I felt was the most appropriate path. Yeah. That there wasn't a right and wrong answer to this. There was just me and, yeah. and dealing with the situation. And I use social media a lot like that to to show emotion and to express emotion mm. and I, I think it might make me more human in the way i deal with things my blog's the same yeah um, you know I, i'm not shying away from from addressing these things and it helps me to do it so some of what how i deal with it is digital and some of it is physical yeah and and that helps me yeah uh, and, and you know the, 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 they're both really valuable and we know that there is a direct link between how physically active a person is and the state of their mental health as well yeah. as their emotional health because yeah, very true for me it it there, there's certain things that are happening with the body that mm. you know people don't necessarily understand you know so it's things like and i, and I, and I don't mean to ne- that we have to get into the um, body chemistry side of stuff or anything like that mm. but even you know just from a uh, kind of a, a well-being perspective yeah you know it's important what we know is that if you're able to maintain a certain level of active physical activity it helps regulate what your body needs and what yeah. your mind needs in order that you are you know and certainly something i've discovered over the last um I, i've gotten back into having a really good routine with my physical health over the last 13 14 weeks where yeah yeah, over the over that period, I I now regularly do Pilates, swimming, and um, I go to the gym, and um, and at the moment I am going through some personal challenges as well. And what I find is that I have more resilience 
because I go to the gym and yeah. do all my physical activity, because when I do that, I know that my body is in a is in a good condition. I'm looking after myself, yeah. taking care of myself. You know, it's part of my whole self-care routine that I take care of myself in that way so that I'm not concerned about that. I'm not concerned about whether or not I'm healthy. Yeah. I know I am because I'm doing a certain level of activity to maintain that level of health. Yeah, yeah. It then allows me that emotional and mental space to be able to have the resilience to, um, to just kind of get through the stuff I need to get through currently. Mm. So that otherwise, I know the other end of what that could mean for me, and personally what that means for me is that I just get overwhelmed. Yeah. I get overwhelmed by my emotions. I get overwhelmed by the um, impact that that has on me. And I struggle to find a way to deal with that in a way which is healthy for me. Mm. So I've, I've learned over time that I need to have quite a lot of um, healthy activities in place, which allow me then the resilience to, to deal with the things I need to on a regular basis. Yeah, agreed. And, and I've, I've, taken a personal training qualification which has enhanced my knowledge of, of right. things so i know exactly what you're talking about and i bring that into the the l d work and the hr work and the coaching work that i yeah. do as well helping people to bring it all together and understand you know their whole self yes how to manage their whole self so it's very very important stuff yeah yeah it is it is and yeah this, this is it's, it's been good to talk about all this with you gary it's been yeah, you know, I, I think it's, I, I, I'm, I'm always reluctant with topics like this to kind of, I don't think we need to have a, a neat home, takeaway home or anything because li life isn't that simple. Um, and so I, I guess I'm just kind of left with enjoying having had the conversation. I appreciate you having reached out to me to ask if you, um, you know, could be part of the podcast to talk about this because it's definitely a topic which I think we've had a really decent exploration of stuff here yeah i think so i found it quite therapeutic <laughs> yeah yeah it is yeah and i often find that around you know conversations like this i'm you know there's quite a few um men in my network as well as my friends mm. and i said this to a friend um actually not this weekend but just the weekend gone um two of my good friends and they're both men and i said to them well, we've, we've all all three of us have turned 40 in the last um in the last year and I've known them both for nigh on 25 years. Mm. So quite a significant chunk of life yeah. that, I've known, that I've had these guys in my life for. And I said to them, I said, look, um, I said, you know, from my perspective, I'm really, I, I acknowledge the privilege that we've had of each other as friends over that length of period of time. Yeah. Because we've seen each other grow. We've seen each other have, very very different life experiences we've been able to talk to each other about it we've offered each other a space to be able to have male friendships mm. in a way which helps us to be good good people and good friends yeah and that i, I recognize i do recognize it as a privilege because i also know that there are men out there who don't have those kind of friendships and they struggle they yeah. absolutely struggle with just life. Mm. And it, it's an important thing to not just have friendships. And I'm not, uh, I mean, yes, it is important to have friendships, but it's important to have a space like this where you can openly just talk through. Absolutely. Yeah, I agree very much. Yeah. Yeah. 
so um, I, I guess um, I, I, don't, I think we're kind of reaching a, a natural point where we're going to bring things to a close. Is there anything else around this that you think that you'd like to raise and talk about, Gary? I can't think of anything at the moment, Suck. It's been it's been fantastic to explore some of these issues. I think we've only just scratched the surface of many of them. I, oh, yeah, um, yeah, I agree. Yeah. Absolutely agree. But no, I've, I've nothing else to think to add. Yeah. Okay. I mean, thank you very much for your time on this. Um, and for anybody who's listening, on a future episode, I'm going to be um, interviewing somebody called Lloyd Dean from the network, um, who's been campaigning around men's mental health specifically after he experienced um, some challenges um, himself. And so I think that's just going to be another interesting piece of further exploration on this topic and from uh, more of a kind of focused piece around that as well. So that's going to be quite an interesting one to just build on what we're discussing here. Mm. Um, I really appreciate your, your time there, Gary. Thank you. Yeah, my very pleasure. Much. Thank you.